Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're talking designing new courses, teaching about teaching, learning about learning, and our case study today is on a new HGSE course titled, and I kid you not, it's called Massive. The Future of Learning at Scale. We're here with its creator. He's a lecturer at HGSC and the Richard L. Menschel Harvard X Research Fellow. He's also an HGSC alum. Welcome to the program, Justin Reich. Thanks for having me, Matt. So Justin, bring us back to when Massive was minuscule, a tiny idea in your head and how this course sort of came to be. Sure. Uh, Joe Blatt, who's the uh, director of the TIE program, approached me about proposing a class for the TIE program. Uh, the research that I've been doing over the last couple of years looks at large-scale learning environments, environments where there are many, many learners and few expert facilitators or instructors to guide them. And it's certainly a topic that's been of great interest in the press and with changing natures of universities and K-12 education and blended learning. Uh, so we thought it, we brainstormed together about what a course would look like that would help people explore and experience some of these kinds of learning environments. And I think the course is just unique in so many ways. I think a lot of people who aren't taking the course obviously could follow along on Twitter if they wanted to. Uh, you have a hashtag. But I, all the sort of myriad things that make this course unique and then how you're using sort of new teaching tools, this distance learning self-evaluation model in your course. Sure. So there are a number of things that we're trying to do. Um, one piece of history that many folks maybe aren't familiar with, but the term MOOC was uh, developed by, which stands for Massive Open Online Courses, was developed by a series of Canadian educators in the latter part of the last decade, around 2008 and 2009. And they meant something very different from what it has come to mean today. So for them, Massive Open Online Courses were inspired by the idea uh, that rather than creating spaces where we sort of scale the dissemination of content. We said, how can we make a video that we get as many people as possible to watch? We say, how do we build a community where we get as many people as possible to be learning together? So for their vision of network learning, what they were trying to grow and create were places where lots of different people could come together and share their ideas. And they developed some really interesting technologies, particularly around syndication engines. So the idea is that, that in these kinds of learning environments, every student owns their own spaces on the web. They own their own blog or their own Twitter handle or their their own other um, channels of communication, and then you invite them to create and build things in these spaces on the web that they own, and the job of the technology is to weave all these things together, and a syndication is, engine is a tool that pulls all that together. So unlike a, a typical course, which might be based on a learning management system like Canvas or Blackboard or something like that, where if you want people to have a discussion, you say, everyone log in behind this private firewall and answer the question that I've posted, and all 60 of you will respond the same way to the same post, and then three months after the course ends, we're going to delete everything anyway. Um, say, let's create an online space where everyone owns their own space, and what we're going to do is find ways of, of bringing these ideas together so that you encounter them together. Um, but it's very foreign to a lot of folks. It's very difficult for students to figure out how to navigate and make sense of. Um, part of what we're trying to encounter in the class is to sort of say, you know, what does it mean to deal with unfamiliar practices? What does it mean to try to have people learning with not use technology to do the same kinds of things that we've done before a little bit faster or a little bit more efficiently? but to do really different kinds of things. Um, and what are, what are the challenges and obstacles and opportunities with that? It seems like this is an incredibly empowering course towards the student, where you are the, the assisting the weaving happening in the class. And you wrote to me in an email, you said students write their own rubrics 
and evaluate themselves in nearly everything they do in class. This is completely new for a lot of students. You've been in the class for uh, maybe a month now. How are people reacting to this? Is it sort of, uh, do they like it or is it kind of uh, confusing at some points? Hopefully some of both, and certainly the best people to ask uh, w would be them. My sense is, you know, so a central feature of self-directed learning, of, of learning at scale online, is that you as a learner have to make a whole bunch of decisions about what you value, about what you think quality is, about what you're trying to get out of things. Um, ultimately, you're the only person who can decide whether or not a learning experience has been meaningful or important or valuable to you. Um, and there's, you know, I believe strongly there's still roles for certification and outside experts and all those kinds of things. But there are lots of ways in which we can learn online in which we really are the only judge of our own success. And so, tr you know, one way to have students experience that is to is to invite them as self-directed learners in this learning environment to say, well, you have to do a project, but you, you, you know, and I'll give you some ideas and help you make some connections, but you have to define that project. And most importantly, you have to tell me what you think success looks like. Um, we're going to have you contribute to this online learning network, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is that you're supposed to do because then you'll all do the exact same thing and then it won't be that interesting. So we in fact have to invite you to both develop what it is that you want to do and decide what quality looks like for you based on where you're at, what your technical skills, are, what your interests are, um, all those kinds of things. My, my sense is that um, many students find it really challenging. You know, many of the students who are really successful and are able to uh, earn admission into places like the Harvard Graduate School of Education get really, really good at listening carefully to what their professors and teachers tell them that good is and being able to replicate that kind of work. Um, so I think for a lot of students, you know, though certainly not all of them, it's a, it's a new experience. Um, it's really hard to think carefully and deeply about what good quality work um, should look like and what the characteristics of good work are. I mean, teachers have a really hard time in spaces that they have expertise in, you know, developing good rubrics and communicating clear expectations to students. I hope that a bunch of students find it empowering, find it uh, a, a great opportunity to ref for reflection to ask, you know, the ultimate question, which is what am I here to learn and what am I trying to get out of this? Uh, and, and, you know, there are certainly other kinds of courses in which that's not a good approach. If you're taking introductory statistics, we should not ask students in introductory statistics, what is it that you want to get out of this experience? We should tell you, this is what you need to be really good at, at uh, participating in a scholarly community or, or an academic practitioner community that's using statistics, and we all need the same language. But in other kinds of fields, you know, like self-directed learning, being able to answer the question, you know, what is it, what is, both, can you, can you discern what's worth learning for yourself? And then also, I mean, for everything we're doing as we immerse people in different kinds of learning environments, how does it feel to be in those learning environments? Not just sort of academically and cognitively, but sort of emotionally, how are you feeling in these spaces? And I should say too, that paired with all of these kinds of crazy things, there's plenty of other stuff that we're doing in which we're immersing people in more um, instructivist, high scale kinds of things. So we have series of video lectures with multiple choice quizzes in between and other kinds of um, it, more, more environments that people would be much more familiar with and to have them try to both, again, rationally and emotionally juxtapose their experiences in these two kinds of environments. I mean, honestly, I, as a former TIE student myself, this would have been like the first class I would have signed up for. I, I, love, I love it. Um, last question, uh, what are some of the students doing with this sort of empowered sense of freedom, this self-directed learning? What have they kind of come up there that's completely outside the box? 
That's a terrific question. So we have students who are doing lots of really fabulous writing. Uh, there's a student with a background in um, who teaches mathematics to, or had been teaching mathematics to students in, in tough neighborhoods in the last couple of years. And he's been every week writing something that sort of wrestles with these ideas and how they might intersect with urban education. And just every week, it's a treat to read what he's been coming up with. There are a group of folks who have sort of self-organized a Twitter chat on Tuesday nights where they get together at 9 p.m. and they have conversations with us. And I'm incredibly lucky as an instructor to be able to lurk in the background of those things because they're teeing up all kinds of great questions and ideas that, that I can help weave into class in the following day. There are students who are doing all kinds of things for independent projects, many of which are directly related to the environments that they're going back into. So there's a student um, from the Division of Continuing Education, who's an employee here at Harvard, who's doing some policy thinking about how should the Division of Continuing Education think about these other kinds of online courses offered at Harvard and, and elsewhere. There's a student who teaches, who's a teacher at an independent school who's thinking about the same kinds of issues. Should independent schools grant students some kind of credit if they can you know, take CS50X Introduction to Computer Science? over the summer. There are people who are thinking about international contexts, whether that's in you know, sub-Saharan East Africa or Myanmar or other kinds of places. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different investigation that's going on, and students are still sort of um, you know, iterating and navigating towards what it is they're trying to get out of things and what it is that they're learning. Completely massive, and the course easily could have been called Open to. It's shared with the world through certainly Twitter, uh, your website, t509massive.org. Um, this was not a self-directed interview, but is there anything more that you wanted to get out of this? No, but I would just say if there are people who want to follow along the course experience, one of the things that we've tried to do is to make our learning open and transparent, and, and people make choices about how much they want to do that. But we have this website, t509massive.org, where you can see what people are writing, where you see what people are sharing. If you're on Twitter, you can go to the t509massive hashtag and see the kinds of conversations we're having and links that we're sharing. And you know, we certainly invite people in those spaces to be able to contribute to our conversations and if there are things that people think we should be reading or weigh in on you know the syllabus is a google document that allows people to comment and so you can click in there and suggest a reading or suggest some ideas um, and and being in dialogue not just with the people in the class but with anyone in the world who's interested in these kinds of issues we're excited to hear from folks justin in the four years that i've known you you continue to make a massive impact on the field thank you very much for being on the edcast yeah, thanks for having me matt this has been the harvard edcast a production of the harvard graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.